Hello, you are listening to Community Supported Radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, May 12th, 2021. I'm Claudio Mendoza, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Tonight, on the California Report, Saul Gonzalez talks to state senator and pediatrician Richard Pan about vaccinating adolescents. Then, after a brief look at local news and regional weather, Keith Porter talks with Ken and Julie Hardin from In Concert Sierra about upcoming shows and how the pandemic has affected the 75-year-old organization. We'll close tonight with a commentary by Teresa Langness. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. California health officials say the Pfizer vaccine could be available for 12 to 15-year-olds as early as tomorrow. This comes after the Food and Drug Administration authorized the shots for adolescents earlier this week. KQED health reporter Leslie McClurg explains. Even though youth are a lot less likely to get a serious case of COVID, it's still possible. Adolescents and teens have died from the virus. That's why state officials are urging youth to get their shots. So it's great that our kids and our teens will be able to join their grandparents, their parents and loved ones, their older siblings in getting vaccinated. The more vaccines we can get into arms of eligible Californians, the more we can stop the spread. That's state epidemiologist Dr. Erica Pon. In a few days, youth can sign up for appointments through the website MyTurn or through a pediatrician. Parental consent is required in most cases for anyone under age 18. Shots will be administered at mass vac sites, pharmacies, and doctor's offices. Some adolescents will experience side effects like fatigue and headaches. For the California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg. Now, while many parents support their younger children getting the vaccine, others may still be skeptical. So we called up a person who's uniquely qualified to walk us through the process of getting children vaccinated. He's State Senator Richard Pan, who's also a pediatrician and led the effort to tighten California's childhood immunization law. The first thing we asked Senator Pan, why is it important for younger children to get the shot? Well, it's very important uh, for parents to get their adolescents vaccinated against COVID. It gives your teenagers freedom, uh, freedom from the fear of being infected with this virus, which, while less serious for younger people, still can have very significant long-term effects. We've seen this in teenagers and even children. It gives them freedom to go about uh, their lives less likely to not only catch the virus, but also to transmit it and give it to other people. Yeah. And I have talked to physicians who've told me that it's not so much that this particular age range is in peril when it comes to getting very sick from COVID, but they are great when it comes to transmitting COVID onto others. Is that correct? Oftentimes when we talk about how serious COVID is, it is correct that it is seniors who are most likely to die from COVID, who are more likely to get much sicker with COVID, but it is not unheard of for teenagers to catch COVID and develop long-term effects from COVID. And even a small number of teenagers have died from COVID. So there is a safety issue for teenagers themselves. But what's even more important is that we want to reduce the transmission of this virus in our community overall. 
And again, speaking as much as a physician than a state legislator, what do you say to parents who might have second thoughts, might be concerned about this vaccination for their younger children? Well, please talk to your doctor and other trusted sources of information if you have questions. It is important that you get your questions answered, and we want to answer them with accurate information and facts. Also, be a little suspicious about things you hear on the internet or on your social media feed. So please talk to trusted sources of information about the vaccine, how it can protect your child and your family, and also what the risks are, which are quite minimal, but there are some risks with the vaccine. Any thoughts about vaccination shaming out there and how it affects um, younger people and teens and children? And I'm thinking of, you know, perhaps children who haven't been vaccinated yet and might encounter blowback from friends, the wider community. What's really important is that people have the opportunity to get accurate information. And then equally important is people actually have the opportunity to get access to the vaccine. We need to keep in mind that there are people still out there who want the vaccine, but have not gotten it because it's not been as accessible to them. They may have transportation issues. They may have other reasons why it's hard for them to get to a vaccination site. And so we need to figure out how to get the vaccines to them. And so when we're talking about vaccinating our teenagers, uh, Certainly, we want to make vaccines available to them at our vaccination sites, at doctor's offices and pharmacies, but we also want to try to bring the vaccines to them. And that's why we're also talking about how do we get vaccines to schools where the teenagers are, and then eventually for the younger kids, also to elementary schools and other schools, middle schools, so that we can make the vaccines available to all the parents who want their children protected. All right. That is pediatrician and state senator Richard Pan of Sacramento. Uh, Senator, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. In other pandemic news, two more counties in California have moved to the least restrictive yellow tier when it comes to reopening. COVID-19 numbers have improved in both San Mateo and Mono counties, allowing more places there to reopen with higher capacity limits. Madera County has also moved from the red tier to the less restrictive orange tier. Only nine California counties remain in the red tier as we approach June 15th. That's Governor Newsom's target date for fully reopening the state. And saying he wants to get something done, Governor Newsom has proposed spending $12 billion over the next two years to tackle the state's homelessness crisis. More than $8 billion would go towards expanding the state's Project Home Key program. It buys motels, hotels, and vacant apartment buildings and turns them into housing for the homeless. Speaking in San Diego yesterday, Newsom says one goal is ending family homelessness in California in five years to address all the needs of that population. But again, with the urgency of the immediacy to move these dollars out so that process starts uh, with uh, some uh, very significant uh, engagement from the front end, not just waiting on the back end. Newsom says his plan would place up to 65,000 people in housing and create 46,000 new housing units in the state. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits, stanfordhealthcare.org slash adapting care. Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor, personalcapital.com. 
and Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, May 12th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a good day. According to the COVID-19 Resilience Poll, a recent public option poll published by Valley Vision and Cap Radio on Monday, almost 40% of people in the Sacramento region said they likely wouldn't get a COVID-19 vaccine. Public health experts say vaccinating a high percentage of the population is key for herd immunity. Concern about possible side effects were the most common reason for hesitancy, followed by concern that the vaccines are too new. The public option poll was conducted by Sacramento State researchers in late March, when eligibility was still limited and may not necessarily reflect current attitudes towards the shots. The Nevada County Coronavirus Dashboard is showing three new cases today for a total of 4,742 cases, 123 are listed as active, and seven as hospitalized. Access to COVID-19 vaccines continues to expand here in Nevada County, with the clinic at Sierra College in full swing. The clinic is administering the Moderna vaccine, which is available to anyone 18 years and older. Appointments can be made online at myturn.ca.gov. Walk-ins are also welcomed. The Union of Grass Valley is reporting that a fire broke out around midday today, burning almost 35 acres near Quail Run Road in Loma Rica. In addition to a large number of ground units, CAL FIRE deployed a number of air resources to combat the fire, including a helicopter that was dropping fuel retardant on the flames. According to CAL FIRE, the blaze was 100% contained by 4 p.m., and no injuries were reported, no evacuations were ordered, and no structures appeared to be threatened by the fire. For regional weather, in Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight, mostly clear, with a low around 57. Thursday will be sunny, with a high near 85. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly clear, with a low around 40. Thursday, also sunny, with a high near 75. And for our listeners in Woodland and Sacramento, tonight, mostly clear, with a low around 56. Thursday, sunny, with a high near 91. Next, Keith Porter speaks with Ken and Julie Hardin from In Concert Sierra about upcoming shows and how the organization has fared during the pandemic. I'm Keith Porter for KVMR News, and I'm talking today with Ken Hardin and Julie Hardin, who not only share the same last name, they also share responsibility for an organization in our town called In Concert Sierra. Ken is the artistic director of In Concert Sierra. Julie is the executive director. So welcome to KVMR, Ken and Julie. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. So for people who don't know about In Concert Sierra in our community, if there are some who don't, uh, give us a little background sketch. In Concert Sierra believe it or not, started in this community in 1946. But it had a different name. 
It was, yes, it was called Twin Cities Concert Association, and we changed the name in 2010 to become In Concert Sierra. And actually, in September of this year is the beginning of our next season, and we're hoping that we'll be live and in person with concerts, and um, that will mark the beginning of our 75th season in the community. Yes, and all different types of um, ways. I mean, it's been a small organization, large organization. Now, we've had our hands on the reins since 1997. We did know that there was a a young man named Keith Porter (laughs) at a Twin Cities Concert Association concert in the 1950s. 53, I think. Yes, my mother took me by the hand. You're disclosing a lot about my age. I love that. I'm sure, like like Keith's story, TCCA and In Concert Sierra have opened a lot of young people's and um, and older folks to classical music. So, tell us about what what does In Concert Sierra do for the community, and um, how has that all been impacted by the pandemic? Well, we we present classical music. Our our tagline um, is classical music to rock your world. For me, as the artistic director, speaking artistically, the Rock Your World part really references the fact that we've been bringing top-name talent to the community for over 10 years now, and that's kind of been our our mission, is really the the highest caliber artistry we can find, that we can attract. And um, so... And afford. (laughs) And afford, right. And so the Rock Your World part of that tagline is really that when you come to a concert that is presented by In Concert Sierra, you're going to hear whatever, whether it's a pianist, whether it's an ensemble, a a group of players, um, whether it's a choral group, whatever you're going to hear, it's going to be the absolute finest that is out there internationally, really. We bring folks from all over the place. We have a a bang-up open to the season in October with our third Sunday series. So we have a group coming from Canada, and then 10 days later, we have a group coming from England, right. and um, and they are both at the top of their game in, in the world of classical music with what they do. From my perspective as the artistic director, um, that's what it's all about, and we are able to do an amazing job. And that. I guess from my perspective as the executive director, and I get to produce uh, most of the concerts as well, is that it's really about the musical experience, uh, just as much as it is about the concert itself, that we really want you to be, you're welcomed when you come in the door, and um, you're going to have just an incredible afternoon, and uh, most people leave with a big smile on their face, and it makes us happy, too. How has pandemic affected us? It basically brought us to a stop um, <laughs> right at first. We just, like, like everybody else in the world, we just suddenly, um, we actually experienced having an executive committee meeting on a Monday when we were talking about things going forward and what do we what do we have to do to be ready for the next concert and then Thursday, four days later, we were canceling the next concert that was supposed to happen in about two weeks and then pretty quickly canceled right on through the calendar year and then after that right on through the season. So it really brought us to a standstill. Then we started figuring out what do we do. So so we focused on two things. We focused on finding in our archives recorded concerts that, that we had presented in the past. And we put those up and welcomed people to see a virtual version of past concerts. 
and people really seem to enjoy that. I had some people say it was fun to see themselves in the audience. Right. <laughs> the other thing that we that we proceeded with that we really focused on was trying to keep what we could keep together of our education programs. The main one that thanks to the efforts of our education director, Mark Vance, was the composer's program. He um, has weekly lessons with all the kids working on composition, and they've culminated in really fine compositions uh, created. people can find online. And you can find them online on our YouTube site. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll have a final program for that show coming up in July. It'll be recorded. So we're really pleased that we've been able to do those two things, focus on those two things. We've been um, in touch with our clients, uh, with our patrons, to assure them that we will be back when we're able to be. And uh, like we said before, we're hoping that that'll be this fall. We also have an online recitals program for kids. Those are all on the YouTube. And also you can see them on May 23rd. Third, you can see just a short snippet of what these kids are working on. What's ahead, then, uh, is the hope that uh, live music can again begin in September, Ken, did you say? That's correct, yeah. We start our uh, season opener is always September with our own orchestra, and um, I have selected a program. I always try to present things on that program that people will either know already, or when they hear them, they will know them and love them, or both, (laughs) that they already know them and they already love them. So the third Sunday at 2 p.m., the concert series goes September through May. So for tickets to those events, and also for those who would like to help support In Concert Sierra through a difficult time with the pandemic, without income, without the opportunity to really present live music, how can people uh, contact you? Well, go to inconcertsierra.org. It has tons of information on it. Or you can give us a call at 530-273-3990. Ken and Julie Harden, thank you so much for keeping music alive one way or another through the pandemic and uh, planning to bring back very wonderful live music to our community whenever that can happen. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you, you. bet. Thanks for having us. see the community. Finally, we close with a commentary by Teresa Langness. Teresa founded and has presided over the global nonprofit organization Full Circle Learning for almost three decades. She has also served as the Education Committee Chair for Nevada County Climate Action Now. One topic on the minds of citizens here and around the globe is resiliency. The solidarity needed for resilient groups and individuals has best occurred where young people played a leading role in solution-seeking, whether they helped to galvanize communities to meet specific relevant challenges or worked in small groups together to create change. Here in our county, youth have a number of opportunities to promote resiliency. One of these is by attending the scholarship-based Climate Change Agents Camp. Each year, the change agents have worked with their heads, hands, and hearts to address drought, fire, water, or habitat loss. They form purposeful bonds around service and learning through projects, field trips, and fun. Ultimately, they teach the community to better protect the planet and its people from the impacts of climate change. Living in the shadow of climate change and the COVID-19 pandemic has not been easy for people in any age group, but it has impelled some young people to look outward instead of inward. We've seen a paradoxical level of progress toward resilience and even brilliance among global youth who have few material resources. 
they are often the ones for whom the stakes are the highest in combating the effects of climate change and achieving the UN Sustainable Development Goals. In some countries, students are currently installing energy systems, or they have initiated school farms to feed their most vulnerable. They are teaching vast number of citizens to prevent health disparities brought on by climate change. They are encouraging appreciation of diversity, knowing that conflict will not help contain CO2, nor will it curtail the pandemic. Only social cohesion will augment research and hard work. This is a concept some cultures call Ubuntu. I am in you, and you are in me. Our local youth will correspond around some of these projects and issues at this year's camp. While creating local change, ideally they will experience a sense of kinship with 363,000 full-circle learning practitioners served this year in schools around the world. We are often astonished by the ingenuity of these young people, both here and abroad, as they apply their capacities to bring about transformation. Camp can only be attended on scholarship. For those interested, applications and information are available online at www.ncclimateactionnow.org or at www.fullcirclelearning.org. Meanwhile, as an organization, we continue to study the relationship between resilience and humanitarian purpose to expand wisdom across the regions and to challenge the coming generation to immerse its creativity and compassion in the goal of preserving and enhancing life for the human family and for all living beings. Thank you. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. And that's our newscast for tonight. We get support from Simply Country, retailing farm and feed since 1964. Supplying water storage tanks, organic feed, family pet food, and spring pullets. Located in Grass Valley and Penn Valley and online at simplycountry.net. And Trips Auto Body Shop, locally owned since 1954. Reminding listeners that motorists have the right to choose an auto repair shop for insured collision repair. Open weekdays, 8 to 5, Freeman Lane, Grass Valley. T-R-I-P-P-S Autobody.com Stay tuned. The Sages Among Us is next, and at 7 p.m., we bring you Democracy Now! Thanks very much for listening. I'm Claudio Mendonca. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.